Greetings, Princeps, and welcome to the 52nd episode of the God Engine Cast, a podcast dedicated to discussing the Adeptus Tatarianus War game produced by Games Workshop. In this week's show, we're going to finish up our deep dive of Legio Solaria by having a wonderful conversation with Steve from the Tabletop Standard YouTube channel. So, before we get on to the main topics of episode 52, let's talk about episode 51. I'm sure there are many people out there who still haven't heard episode 51. This is because there was an issue with the RSS feed. Shortly after the podcast went live, a error formed somewhere in the back end of my podcast that resulted in the fact that anyone tried to sync with my podcast from their podcatcher, they only got connected to a file that was 1 minute and 52 seconds long, around that and it only consisted of the opening of the show. This had been fixed rather promptly, but if you had tried to download the show or your podcatcher had made contact with the God Engine Cast RSS feed during that period of time, you're probably still getting the shortened version of the show. To listen to the full version of episode 51, you need to reset the RSS feed for the show. There's usually an option somewhere in settings on your podcatcher app. I don't know where it is on I know where it is on my app, but I don't know where it is on your app. You may have to check the help files. Or you could unsubscribe and resubscribe to the show. That should also work, in theory. Depending, again, on the settings of the device and how it keeps cookies and all that other technical gubbins. Your other option, if you can't get any of that to work, is that the full show is available on YouTube. The link will be in the show notes for this show, for those who are still struggling to find it. Having talked to the folks over at Anchor, I have isolated the cause of the problem and it will not happen again. That has been hot fixed. But like I say, if your RSS connection with that particular episode was made during the window of error, you're gonna need to reset the feed yourself to get the error fixed. Ah, the wonders of technology. Well, with all that said, let's move on. If you're still confused by any of this, please feel feel free to reach out and I will see if I can talk you through the problem. Okay, before we get into the main topic of the show, let's talk for a moment about a few items of news. First of all, on the 17th to the 19th of September this year, I am going to be once again running a Titanicus event at the Iron Halo GT in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. This is going to be a Titanicus narrative event. I've currently got eight tickets up for sale, but additional tickets will be available if we sell out. I'm going to talk about my plans for this event much more in the upcoming months as we get closer to the event. But if you want to get a spot right now for the event, tickets are selling fast. The link can be found in the show notes. I'd like to add that the tickets up for sale are for the Saturday and Sunday events. I am planning on running something Titanicus related on the Friday night as well. The exact details of that have yet to be fully fleshed out. So hopefully I can provide three wonderful days of Titanicus fun. Hopefully uh, six to seven games if we're lucky. Now let's get to the main section of today's show, finishing our deep dive of Allegio Solaria. When I do these deep dives into Allegio, I like sitting down with someone who's actually collected the Allegio and put them on the table to fight with them. Um, I can hypothesize about how their rules work all I want, but actually sitting down and talking to someone who's actually played them is invaluable. And I think it really adds something to this conversation. 
So in that nature, I sat down with someone I thought would represent this lead joke really well. That person being Steve from the Tabletop Standard YouTube channel. For the few listeners who may be unaware, the YouTube channel, Tabletop Standard, has a fantastic series of episodes on Titanicus. In fact, it is predominantly the main content they produce. There is some really fun battle reports featuring Solaria, including some recent games in a large campaign they were playing. Chris, the mastermind behind the channel, appeared on this podcast back on episode 25, where we talked at length about the channel as a whole and their plans for the campaign. Um, This episode sort of bookmarks that as Steve's talking about how the campaign wraps up in places throughout our conversation. So I'd go back and re-listen to that if you want to listen to the full story. Or just go to their YouTube channel and watch the fantastic campaign. It was really good fun and a lot of fun Legius hilarious shenanigans. With all that said, let's just welcome Steve to the show and we'll sit down and listen to me and him talk about Legius hilaria for the next 30 minutes or so. Well, thank you, Steve, for joining me today. Um, Before we actually get into the main topic of discussing the Legio Solaria, especially the new rules, um, let's start with the huge topic of when do you get into Titanicus? Uh, Wow. Hi. Thank you again for inviting me on. Um, I'm going to show my age a bit now. Uh, I started in uh, 88, 89 with the original release of the first Titanicus. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was a a sprightly young chap still, Um, but um, I had a friend whose dad was very much into Games Workshop stuff, and I used to go over and, you know, we used to play and hang out and stuff, and um, he sort of showed me sort of from the models he had and he was painting them they looked rather awesome and um i decided that's that's what i wanted to do as well um so i, I cycled around to my local corner shop and uh, bought myself issue 110 i think it was the white dwarf and there's a lot of awesome stuff in there but the the mm. titans the big, big robots really appealed so i i did a, a few odd jobs for my, my granddad and some decorating and saved up and managed to get the uh, the box set which sadly i don't have anymore Getting people to play it alongside me was difficult. Yeah, my friends at the time were very much sort of, you know, into sort of early computer gaming, jumping on mountain bikes off of ramps and stuff, and it wasn't really something that people wanted to play. So I kind of just ended up sticking the models together and throwing some paint on them badly and uh, try my best to learn the rules and, and sort of play sort of games against myself, really. So that's, yeah, that, that was really my intro into it. But um, And then from there, I kind of went into Epic in a really big way. Uh, mercifully, I found some friends that were interested in that. So uh, that kind of tied together the Titans and the and, and everything else together, really. And it's always been my, my favourite scale, really, to play war games at. And did you uh, carry on playing it through the uh, sort of end of Epic into the re-release of Titanicus? Yeah, I mean, uh, my, my mate Chris, uh, who we run the channel together, he... Um, He's big into Epic as well, or was at the time. And I've still got all of my armies from Epic back uh, from, from well, some back from early days, and some I've, I've, I've scavenged together over the years. So, yeah, I played, I played Space Marine. I played the... I did play Second Edition, because that was kind of kind of coincided in my life with, you know, beer and other discoveries. <laughs> yes, yes. I think that's the, the, the short gap in every Wargamer's career occurs around then. 
Yeah, exactly. So um, I, I got back into it um, uh, back when um, I think it was Epic 40,000, I think it was called, uh, with all the firepower charts. And, the, and I, I kind of played it a bit, but it lost a lot of flavor to me at that point. Um, all the units seemed to be just, you know, add all the firepower together and fire them. And what I loved about the previous uh, incarnations were the nuances between the different models and the units and, and how you could build them. And uh, so I kind of played it a couple, I played it a few times, didn't really play it as much as I wanted to. Um, and then when Epic Armageddon came out, uh, you know, I fell head over heels in love with that. And that's that's probably the edition I've played the most of, to be honest. And uh, Chris and I still pick up a game now and again uh, and play a little bit of Epic. We were, well, maybe thinking of doing it on the channel one day, but um, Epic 30K is also very appealing. Um, and we have... You know the rise of 3D printing and everything else. Mm -hmm. That is certainly something we might do as well. Well, before we get to, to talking about the channel, I suppose um, the big question I've got is: um, What do you actually think about Titanicus as a game compared to the old style? Oh, it's 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 a different beast. It's, but that said, I mean, I'm having uh, I have a lot of trouble trying to remember the actual rules for the original. Okay. Uh, but from what I recall and from what I've seen on some online battle reports it's yeah it's it's similar in some cases uh but radically different than others um i, th I think that uh the most notable difference is obviously the the the, the activations the turns the the way you have to manage a reactor um a bit more and the shields etc so you've kind of got to play a, a resource game with your titan as well and knowing when you can push it and knowing when you can you know, you, you, you better not. <laughs> um, those are the, probably my main, and that's probably one of the appeals of the game to me more as well, because it is, you know, you feel like each Titan is an individual Titan. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a, a god machine with its own nuances and its own um, energy resources that you, you, know, you have to spend as a player. And when they, when they go up, it feels like an incredible loss uh, when one of them goes. Yeah, I mean... My experience is that it feels a lot that Titanicus owes a lot more to Battlefleet Gothic than it did to Epic in many ways. Yes, yeah, yeah, I'd go with that. Which is something I'm trying to get my head around, but it's the the way it, the way the game's going. Can't complain. It's a fun game to play. Absolutely, it's it's an incredibly fun game, and it's it's very tactical as well, uh, which I don't think always is initially obvious. Um, but um, I know when to activate which Titan, uh, you know. Going first is always favourable in most war games, but sometimes in Titanicus, having that second turn to see where your opponent's going, you know, is preferable. Uh, certainly in the games I've played uh, on the channel, sometimes I, you know, I really, really want first. I really, really need to be first player. Another, <laughs> another times it's like actually I want to see what my opponent does, so I'll take second player. Yeah, let's just segue into the conversation about the channel. It's been. August was when I sat down and talked to Chris about everything about Tabletop Standard. Um, so sort of quick check back in, I suppose. You guys have done a fair bit since then, and then also not. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, yeah, we, the, the campaign we wanted to run has is coming to a close. I think Chris has recently uploaded a video. Uh, I won't give any spoilers here, but, uh, you know, it was... It was fairly decisive on one side, but uh, we learned a lot from that in terms of how to run the campaign, in terms of what we would do differently, uh, our 
particularly the resources. Uh, I learned that night battle groups, certainly in the campaign rules we used, aren't really worth using. <laughs> they uh, they cost too much to replace, um, and I ended up using them more to just capture and grab land and, and then build up campaign points. So there's definitely things we would do differently, and certainly that was a lot of fun uh, doing that. But uh, like a lot of campaigns, sometimes it can get too favorable in one person's, and then it just runs away and uh, stops being maybe as fun for the opposition. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what I talked to Chris about when he was talking through what you were planning on doing. I'd had those concerns a couple of episodes before I was looking at the campaign systems in the Titanicus book, and it, it does have a sort of, there isn't a good capture mechanic built into the system to keep the games tight as the campaign goes on. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely agree with that. And um, we would we definitely want to do another campaign on the channel, uh, for sure. And we just want to bring other people in to try and sort of do like, uh, not necessarily as part of the campaign, but do like one-offs within the campaign alongside that. And that's one way we're looking at perhaps mitigating that a little bit. But certainly, yeah, building in a mechanic, I'm not sure Chris has worked it out yet, he's kind of like the campaign guy. He, where he's, you know, we, we definitely want a mechanic where we can sort of say, okay, yeah, X person's winning and we need to catch up. And otherwise, it's going to get real dull for us and for people watching, to be honest, as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I've i enjoyed the whole campaign myself. I've eagerly watched every episode. Um, it's one of those things, this time with the pandemic and everything, actually getting games in has been fairly difficult. Um, and it's been nice to see you guys putting content out. Yeah, and Chris has done a sterling job with all the stuff. Obviously, you've not been able to meet up. Um, doing the bits of the channel going, such as the How to Play guide, which I thought was fantastic. Oh, yeah. And some of the other review videos and other bits he's done have just been, you know, they've, they've really, he's really done really well there. Um, but uh, obviously, yeah, he doesn't, what we want, what people want to watch is obviously the, game, the games. <laughs> um, so we're hoping, I mean, we the pandemic kind of hit just as we were in the process of not necessarily wrapping up the campaign, but certainly looking to looking towards the end game so it sadly obviously didn't finish as perhaps as we, we we are planning a, a sort of a last a last game as it were which i think chris has done a video about which will, which will be a colossal one which will be quite great as i've just finished adding the trim to my war master yeah <laughs> he, uh, he might appear you never know but uh, yeah so it's yeah definitely more games coming and we're gonna hopefully be back 17th of may onwards maybe we can try and get get together and record a couple of smaller games perhaps okay yeah let's spin around and talk about the legio solaria we'll start with a question uh what drew you to collect the legio um i think it was titan death uh it was it was reading that story and i, I remember seeing a color scheme for them back in some 80s white dwarf and immediately going i hate that i'm i'm moving on but um it was something about i mean i, I love the whole sort of matriarchal take they had on their background the the idea of them being hunters and the book just just sold it to me when i saw the color scheme i thought that's actually better than the original uh for a start and i, I quite like it i fancy giving it a go it seemed quite challenging so but it was really the, the the fluff really to be honest i have to say that drew me to it okay yeah i mean i have to titan death i have a lot of criticisms with the book but i think most of the criticisms are leveled at legio vulpa in the book yeah they don't come off the best do they they were a little, a little moustache twirling. Um, when you read them, the the stuff in the other sources for them, they've got a lot of depth, but they just the book really good for a book that I feel like was written really quickly. 
Yeah, I, it's um, it was oh, I've forgotten the chap's name. Uh, Guy Haley. Guy Haley, thank you. Yeah, he. I think he's their go-to guy, isn't he? When they want something cranked out quick. And I've I've always found him a bit hit and hit and miss as an author. So I went in it into Titan Dev with a great deal of trepidation. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, and I, I get what you're saying. There are some uh, elements of the story that are a bit two-dimensional. Uh, Volpa being one of them. But uh, I, I found that on the whole, I really enjoyed it more so than I expected to. Yeah, and I think uh, Legion Slayer definitely come out as being the most unique faction. Yeah, and I think, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what drew it to. I think that's what it was. Some of the other factions are, you know, I played Graphonicus as my other um, loyalist engine, and they're, they're great, and I've loved them since the 80s, and that's why I wanted to do them. But the they're just sort of, I don't know, it's kind of like, oh, we are honourable, let's draw. Okay, great. That's, that's kind of cool. But um, the whole... The back, you know, they went into the depth of how the Legion was formed, how how it sort of came into being, how it was, you know, almost accidentally <laughs> turned into a sort of matriarchy. Um, I just I found that really compelling. Yeah, they they've managed they've managed to keep something that feels very forty k. Um, it's still very grimdark, but they've been able to do it in a way of a story that hasn't really been told. Where I think that's the problem with Legion Graphonicus is they just feel they feel like the Titan Legion you'd expect to exist. Yes, they're my uh, a good friend of mine described them as the the uh, ultramarines of Titanicus. Yeah, <laughs> which as an ultra, as a, yeah, as a lifelong ultramarines fan, I you know I took offence at that, but <laughs> it's uh, I get the point. It's kind of like they're like almost like the poster boy good guys for Titanicus. Yeah, there's there's nothing nothing wrong with being the standard Titan Legion. It just means you're just going to be the one everyone compares it to. Yeah, yes, yeah, absolutely. But like I say, there's still you know a big love of mine. You know, my war bastard who's sitting on the shelf behind me. He's uh, he's in Graphonica's colours, so uh, it's still something I find that I want to do. But uh, yeah, I mean, I like them more for their colour scheme and and and. Uh, more than anything else, with Solaria, very much the rules were great. They're okay, but they they were you know they, they were pretty good. Uh, the color scheme I found very challenging as a painter, and the, the 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 fluff was just you know to me that was that was the final sort of nail in that I have to buy some Titans and paint them in green. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's been the big. A lot of folk I know who collect Solaria have been that sort of the color scheme being so different. Yeah, it's it's very unique, isn't it? It's um, I mean, there are other sort of quite complex schemes in some of them, but uh, that that to me found it was that that was like, well, how am I going to do this? <laughs> um, but... I can't think of another forty k range like or forty thirty k range with the same sort of color palette either. Like it's especially that mottled green. It's it is unique to them. At least it was when Titan Death came out. Yeah, definitely. It's no, I can't think of anything either. It's, it's... Yeah, yeah, it's it's very unique. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's the sort of big summary of them. Um, I suppose we'll start covering the rules, and uh, more importantly, at this point, is uh, your takes on the changes that they imposed in the new loyalist book. So I felt they got one of the best revisits, um, perhaps other than Legion Graphonicus, who also got a pretty pretty nice revisit in the book. Yeah, I lucked out there. Yeah, <laughs> both the ones I collect uh, came out strong, didn't they? Um. I think, I mean, I, looking at the old rules versus the new, with the old rules, um, you know, and full disclaimer, I haven't yet played a game due to the COVID uh, with the new rules. <laughs> but 
the old rules were okay, but they didn't feel to me in the, like Solaria is in the fluff, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, there, there wasn't any real emphasis on the sort of traits that they would have in the book, such as ambush hunters, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the way they played sound felt very much like most other legions, to be honest. The uh, comedian shrouding was nice, very expensive on a warhound, and arguably it was useful a couple of times, but not for much. Um, it was also great being able to mix in warhounds as part of Reavers. You know, that, that's, that's kind of great, but uh, it wasn't um, wasn't as good as I found as, as the as the new rules, where you can obviously uh, contain bigger manifolds of of hounds and and the the way that they've changed the um, the warhounds generally makes you want to play more warhounds um, and make, making the legs sort of issues and repairs that you can do on them better. Um, having the shrouding be a lot more useful as well. It's still expensive, and I'm not sure how often I'll use it, but it's it's a bit better than it was. And the Fog of War stratagem, their unique stratagem, which I used a couple of times in the old rules and didn't find that useful, is now a lot cheaper. Well, it's one point now as opposed to two. And it's you know you can redeploy that uh, hound, but you can use it as many times as you want. Yeah, I the Fog of War stratagem change is the really interesting one because it used to be a two point stratagem that you could do for which would scale to bigger the game, more useful you get out of it. Yes. Um, I think the new version of it, it just makes the rule simpler to use. Yeah, yeah. Because if if you wanted to use it, you're gonna have to take quite a few large scale titan, um, which is fine and does fit the fluff of Legion Solaria because they aren't Legion Wardax, they aren't all Warhounds, but no. um, it would force a sort of. It wasn't great if you were running a full Warhound force. In fact, you couldn't use it if you were just running Warhounds. No, exactly. But you had in the old rules, you had to have a for every titan you had, wasn't it? With a scale of seven or more, um, yeah. you could use it. Yeah. So as you say, you needed. Those um, hold on, he needed the uh, you know some bigger titans to to have any benefit from it. But now, obviously, being able to, it specifically says obviously Warhound still, but it doesn't have any stipulation on any other titans uh, in your force. And you you know you could potentially, depending on as you say the size of the game, you know, move around a whole load of Warhounds and being able to just pick up a Warhound or two and move them completely to different places trick your opponent into putting stuff down to counter it and then move them off the board at the end of it to say, oh, nope, you're not getting those, I'm moving them over here. Um, it just feels such a strong strategy um, to the point where I think I'm going to use it a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I can't see a reason not to uh, take that at least once with a Legion Solaria battle force now. Because... I guess, the, yeah, I guess the only concern is it's going to be, you know, after a couple of games, your opponent's going to expect it. Um, like any tactic, it, you know, you'll need to sort of alter it to a, to, to a bit, or maybe even go the full other way and not use it at all. And uh, um, again, play the mind games of your opponent. They can you think they can then think you're going to move a warhound, and actually then don't. Yeah, though it's my sort of um, back of the envelope maths I've been putting together for some legions battle forces. You end up with pretty low number of deployment drops because you're going to end up squadroning some of your hounds up. Yeah. The ability to redeploy afterwards eliminates some of the problems with that lack of activations. Yeah, certainly does, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a very good strategy, and they've cleaned it up a lot. I guess the only thing I would suggest, perhaps, I mean, 
again, I'd have to look into it a bit more, but um, if you, here's a Lupercal one, isn't it, that you can alter your squadrons per turn. Mm -hmm. So you could perhaps take some hounds and then squadron them up each turn, up to five, of course, in Solaria's case, so the whole mana pool if you wanted to, turn by turn. So you could still drop some hounds here and there, then remove them on Fog of War, and then later in the game, manacle them up, uh, sorry, squadron them up as you go. So you could mitigate some of your the, you know, activation problems there by having the use of uh, squadrons per turn. Yeah, 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 okay. Um, so what's your take on the change on the wolf pack one? Because that was the one I was a bit less. Yeah. Yeah, so now you can take up to five Warhound Titans in a Manipal Squadron's Rise. Sorry, each squadron can be up to five, um, which, as I said, is an entire Manipal of... Yeah. A, uh, if you wanted to do sort of a Lupercal one. Um, I mean, that would give you one activation. I'm not sure how useful that would be. Uh, but like I said, you can change them up. So you can each turn, you can move them around. So perhaps, you know, squadron them in... But I think haven't Lupercal lost the bonuses they had to damage now they have but you still get plus one for being in a squadron so that's true that is true um i mean beforehand they they were pretty strong to be fair <laughs> but uh I mean, it's okay it's not terrible i don't know how often i would want to put five warhounds in a squadron if i'm being honest at one time i mean previously it was four wasn't it yeah and that's the thing it's like a change from four to five seems rather minor it does i think i mean the, the Dropping a Warhound, sorry, dropping a Reaver out of a compulsory component and putting in a Warhound is pretty strong. I quite fancy trying that with a Corsair Manacle. Mm -hmm. And then you've got super maneuverable Warhounds running around the place with Chameleon Shrouding, possibly squadroning at the beginning of the game you really wanted them to. Yeah. Making them hard to be hit. I think, well, you know, I might even give the old Ursus Claw a go with that, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, with the Ursus Claw change, I definitely think it's a viable weapon for Legislaria now. Yeah, I mean, I've got a few. I've not really used them in uh, many games. I've tried them and didn't really work for me. But uh... yeah, well, they they don't damage you as much anymore. So I think a sneaky a sneaky single Ursus Claw has a place. Um, so I mean, even if it just pulls your opponent around out of arc, um, I think that is, you know, that's there's a lot to be said for that. In, you know, in certain situations. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, I suppose the only piece of work here we haven't mentioned is the Fortis Motivators. Do you have...? Yeah, I, I mean, it's the whole sort of setup now for Solaria is it, it wants you to play Warhounds, doesn't it? And this, this leads very much into that by making it very much easier for you to repair your legs. To be fair, that is generally where, you know, people tend to aim for. It's the easiest part of the Hound to damage, as I recall. And certainly the bit that I end up always getting smacked in by. Chris uh, when he plays against me. So I think that's pretty strong. I mean, it is 20 points. I think if you've got 20 points left over, uh, and particularly if you're playing sort of, you know, like I plan to, maybe a Corsair, sticking that on my on my uh, Princip Senioris, you know, if I 20 points spare, I'll definitely use it. So I, I, I'm pretty sure it will come up in a lot of games, to be honest. It's not perhaps a situation as it uh, may at first appear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the ability just to fix the critical damage is really useful. Um, I've never really used them before. Okay. Um, probably because I was hit by that, that wordage and decided that it wasn't any good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, still, you don't have that many repair dice on a um, Warhound, which is the problem. It is. I mean, you're guaranteeing that you're guaranteeing repairing your legs, aren't you? Basically. 
Um, so um, let's discuss sort of your sort of usual list. Um, obviously, this is going to be based on the older rules. Um, so we'll start with the big question is, what's the heavier Titans you run with your Legion? It's based in, well, to a certain extent, in my current model collection. And I've got the one Warlord, Luxor and Victoria, <laughs> for, uh, from Titan Death, who I tend to use as a Senioris. And I tended to run that alongside a couple of Reavers and a couple of Hounds. Okay. I think I have got four hounds now. I've painted some up more, some more up during lockdown, so they haven't been used yet. I don't know if I would ever consider a Warbringer for Solaria. I mean, I'm quite sure they have heavy titans. I mean, even the Titan Death book is a picture of a Imperator, doesn't it, with Solaria colors on it? Yeah. I don't know. To me, it feels kind of against the fluff to have too many heavy titans. Although that, that said, they did have first manifold full of warlords. The stuff actually in the book which talks about the methods of war talks about using hounds to draw them on large titans, mm. which kind of makes sense, but I'm just trying to... Like, to me, it's the reavers that are the ones that I can't see fitting in a list. All right, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think my take on the actual reaver is it's my favourite titan. In, in terms of its flexibility, yeah. Uh, it is, you know, it's a jack of all trades, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. To me, I, I very rarely... Regardless of the of the Legio I'm playing, I'm very rarely going to a game without at least one Reaver. Um, yeah. I think they're just too versatile in terms of the manoeuvring, in terms of the speed, their ability to take a bit of damage and, and dish it out as well. So, yeah, so I guess if I were to look at it now in light of the new rules, mm-hmm. I would certainly run more Hounds, as we've discussed. Maybe, maybe a Warmaster. <laughs> you know, if you're going to bring those heavy guns, bring those heavy guns, right? Um, and draw the hounds, use the hounds to sort of distract, really, from the Warmaster, perhaps. I was, I've been looking at the idea of running a, like you mentioned earlier, a Corsair, but, but swapping two of the hounds out. One Reaver, so you do one re, one or two Reavers, and then two hounds, and then something else to paste. I mean, theoretically, you could put a, in a big enough game, that would be a good support maniple for a Warmaster. Mm, that would be scary, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Would you would you go the Ursus Claw route with the hounds, or would you would you sort of? I think one of the hounds having an Ursus Claw would be an interesting because you do a Ursus Claw hound and then a hound with a uh, a Reaver with a close combat weapon. Uh, I fear they would be a very scary pairing on the flank because the hound moves the enemy Titan to its side, and then the Reaver walks up and punches it in its side. <laughs> yeah. So just building on the sort of the, what have been your favorite games with Legia Solaria? So moving away from the actual rules chunk and actually the sort of gameplay fun that you get out of a Legia. Um, especially, especially key as a lot of your games are visible to the public. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we probably, yeah, probably 90% of the games Chris and I play, we record. We play the occasional one, uh, either to try new models, new rules, or, or we'll certainly play a couple, I think, before we record a game, because I'm sure we're very rusty. My favourite game, I haven't actually played probably more than a dozen games of Solaria. Okay. Uh, mainly because the campaign sort of, that we, Chris and I, ran on the channel had two battle groups in my in my list of mm-hmm from Graphonicus and one from Solaria. And again, that was based upon the amount of models I got. My Graphonicus collection is far bigger than my Solaria collection. But certainly the first game I played with Chris using, and to a lesser extent the subsequent game, using Solaria, I was very keen on all of my stuff dying. <laughs> and I, I remember keeping my Luxor and Victoria, my, my, my Warlord, and I kitted it out with as much defensive 
stratagems as I could find to keep the reactor cool, to uh, keep repair, uh, a stratagem that lets you roll more repair dice, etc. Um, and Chris's frustration at trying <laughs> to bring that warlord down was one of my favorite sort of parts of the game because he threw everything at it and I just kept repairing it and cooling it and <laughs> stepping away when he got too close. And he he threw so much at that that, war, that warlord that I was able to basically concentrate on picking him apart with my reavers and warhounds. So I guess it's my favorite because of that, because of the yeah. obscenities Chris threw at me off camera. <laughs> and, <laughs> Uh, and because of the the um, it, it kind of like felt like a game of Solaria, bringing the Titans onto the the enemy onto the bigger Titans. Um, not for any tactical play of mine, I might add. Just because Chris was so keen to cripple my battle group by taking out that warlord and forcing me to have to spend a, a great deal of resources to to replace or repair it. But uh, it felt like a Solaria game. <laughs> Yeah, cool. Okay. Um, so I think we get to the uh, final category of uh, your hobby experience with the Legio. How have you gone about painting them? I and mean, we'll start with that. Obviously, we, we touched on that earlier, that the paint scheme is interesting. Um, it is, yeah. It's um, very intimidating. When I when I looked at it at first, I knew I wanted to try it, but uh, quite honestly, I wasn't sure how to go about it. Um, I went to the Warhammer World Legio Walks event. Yeah, okay. Uh, I took my golf my graphonicus which to be honest i i've updated since but back then i wasn't hugely proud of because i kind of Mm -hmm. threw them together in order to start playing the game um and there was a chap there lee i think his surname is i think it's lee lee marshall perhaps he's on instagram as um forge from mars or i think he's got a youtube channel yes yeah yeah i've I've, he's actually been on the show talking about how he thinks yeah yeah Yeah, super nice guy um and i i I caught up with him on the second day, and I, I called him in the middle of War, Forge World in Warhammer World <laughs> and said, please tell me how you did your Solaria. I really, really want to. And um, he, he, he gave me the, the secret ingredients, as it were. But um, he, he actually has got a, um, a video up on his, on his uh, mm-hmm. YouTube channel also talking how to do it. Before that, I, I dabbled in a couple of airbrushing sort of dappling techniques, and it came out... The little sort of dapple bits that they have on them, they just came out too big. I couldn't get them to sort of look as neat. Mm. So, um, the way I approached it was pretty much exactly the same way Lee does, with sort of stippling um, over a sort of Caliban-y green or equivalent color as a base. Uh, I mean, it's Rekaf flesh, as I recall, and some uh, pallid flesh, I believe. And then you use various washes around the sides and edges to emphasize some sort of shadows. And to be honest, it's actually pretty quick um, to do uh, compared to the way I was uh, going to try and do it with the airbrush, which would have taken me forever. And to be honest, it's a far better result that I achieved using Lee's method um, than doing the, the airbrush. Yeah, I have to say that I, the Caliban green paint is a really interesting... I've just started using it myself on my uh, Legion Volcanum, and it looks like it's a really dark paint in the pot, but it, it's really easy to put some really light tones in it. Um, I was very surprised by it. No, I absolutely agree. Um, and I, I picked up a, a sort of a cheap craft paint to do the first sort of lighter green. Um, I think it's like Christmas tree green or something, I think it's called, um, from a craft store. Um, and it worked really well with the Caliban green going over the top of it. Just, it's not too jarring, but it, it jumped straight away from a light to a darker green, uh, or vice versa, sorry, um, without a great deal of 
you know, mixing in between, which is what normally I have to do. Are you uh, painting over silver plates? Uh, for the, oh, for the, uh, yes, yeah. Um, yes, I tend to do the plates separately yeah, and um, and paint, paint it that way, yeah. Yeah, that, that allows you to avoid the dreaded trim on many of these titans. Um. Yeah, as I say, having, having just about finished my War Master, I, uh, I am trimmed out <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> what paint scheme are you doing for your War Master? Uh, it's Graphonicus. Um, I, I, felt, I felt I needed to, to, to have that. And as you know, obviously it's not a Graphonicus chat we're having, but uh, with their new rules being able to swap out sort of breathers and, and etc. Fancy the idea of having a big old boy, uh, War Master. I don't mind segueing into Graphonicus for a few moments before we wrap up. Um, I sort of reviewed them a while ago and I haven't really sat down and talked to anyone about them. I really like them as a um, Legio, and much like Legio Solaria, they got a really good look in the new um, the new book. Absolutely. Um, and like I said, I'm so happy. <laughs> it's one of those lucky lucky breaks. I found the the rules in the original book just to be I don't know they're a little bit like. Uh, a bit confusing almost in a way they were yeah all over the place in terms of what they were trying to achieve but um they've certainly made you know i mean i still love the the, the aspect relays on the hands are really useful mm-hmm. really measuring um but obviously you know the mainstay trait they have of swapping out a reaver in place of water i just want to try you know five reavers in an exterminus or it's called manipul with all the <laughs> bonuses that they might get for for the warlords, that's assuming I'm correct in that. I'm not sure if it stipulates has to be warlord in the, uh, in the in the right of the rules. No, it doesn't anymore either. So that's even better. Fantastic. So yeah, just <laughs> yeah. No, I really enjoy. I like the fact they added a pile more um, background information. Um, yes. In the uh, black book write-ups, they've actually they fleshed them out from that little write-up they had in the rule book. Um, Absolutely, yeah, definitely. Uh, having having earlier, you know, slagged them off as being the ultramarines of, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the uh, they've they've definitely added to their their allure uh, in terms of their background for sure. Yeah, and I think you know you can slag them off as the ultramarines, but the ultramarines still are a pretty fun chapter to play. Absolutely, yeah. I'm I'm in the process of one of my many one of my many side projects. I've got a a thirty k ultramarine army on the go. Oh, nice. Just finished 500 points off. So yeah, I'm just trying to drag Chris into that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's so far proven resistant resistant to it. But um, I've, I've got some Sons of Horus as well. So um, and I I spent first part of the UK lockdown uh, building the same Mortalis board. Mm. So I'm hoping to get some of that on the channel as well. I, I I've been playing around with the idea of mixing Zo Mortalis games and Titanicus together. That's it's the dream, isn't it? I mean, I'd love to have. Yeah. A, a board each you know two boards in a room and and, and just you know just play a sequential but it's been really fun talking to you today it was uh thank you very much for, for inviting me on Mark, and i've really enjoyed it big thanks to steve once again for coming on to sit down and talk to me about the legio solaria there it was really good sitting down and talking to someone who's actually played and collected this particular legio rather than just listening to me waffle and hypothesize But all that said, I promised at the end of the last episode that once we were through everything, I would put together my closing thoughts on the Legio Solaria. So let's try and get my conclusions all drawn together here. So I think, in general, the Legio Solaria are perhaps one of the best Titan Legios out there. 
they have a really deep and fantastic background. Really expanded upon by the Black Library authors, and that's really nice to see a Titan Legion having books dedicated to them in the way the Legio Solaria has. It'd be nice to see other Legios get time in the spotlight. But until then, Legio Solaria hold the gold standard for that. They also have a rule set that is really balanced. I don't think they're incredibly overpowered, and I don't think they're underpowered. You can play a game pretty well, and you can play them thematically. When you play with a current rule set, you feel like you're playing the girls as they are in the books. It's really well done. I applaud Games Workshop and the rules writing team for getting it just about right. It's still going to take a lot of skill to win with Legio Solaria. They don't necessarily give you an auto-win function. You're going to need to sit down and think and be strategic with your choices. But it gives you the flexibility to do some stuff you can't do with any other Legio. And that's what I want to see with the Titan Legio special rules. I've talked before about, you know, a hypothetical power ranking where some Legios are just more powerful than others. And I think we're all aware of Legios that are on the bottom and the top of that ranking system. And actually, I think those Legios that are at the top and bottom are signs of problems with the game. We shouldn't have Legions that are so weak no one wants to take them. I'm looking at Legiocritus there. And also, we shouldn't have Legios that are just so good people just want to take them because it's going to make the game easier to win. I'm um, looking at Legio Crucius, Legio Ignatum, my personal Legio, even Legio Astorum. These are all very powerful rule sets that really intrinsically add something to the game that makes it much easier just to play a game of Titanicus. I mean, it's good those rules are out there, I mean, it's... But I think all three of those Legios I've just mentioned could do with a slight nerf in one way or another. We aren't going to see it now because the Loyalist book's out. But at least I'm glad that they were able to raise the Legio Solaria to a light, nice midpoint. And it's refreshing to see a Legio exist where it is a balanced force. If you were to take a Legio Solaria rule set, you aren't doing it for a power game re reason. You're doing it because you enjoy their story. And that's what we want out of the Titanicus game, or at least it's what I want out of the Titanicus game. I'm not here to win tournaments, and I'm not. When I organize events like the Iron Halo, I'm not putting together a tournament, I'm putting together a narrative. And I think these rules go a long way to support that narrative. Okay, do you think I can say narrative a few more times or shall I move on? Let's sort of move on to some other stuff I haven't really talked about. Top of that list is I haven't really talked about hobbying much in this deep dive. In fact, there was no talk about painting or converting models in last week's episode. And that's because, to be honest, in this regard, I've been beaten. There is nothing I can say about painting and collecting the Legia Solaria that hasn't been talked about by others and done in a much better way than I possibly could on this format. I encourage everyone to look at the Legio Solaria painting tutorial video that Lee Marshall put out on YouTube on his Forge of Mars channel. He has painted some incredible Legio Solaria titans in the past couple of years, including an absolutely fantastic Warmaster that he's just finished painting. Um, and there's nothing more I can say about painting Legia Solaria that isn't me just copying what he says on these YouTube channels. So go and look at it. You can also hear Lee talk about those painting styles on the episode where he appears on this particular podcast. He showed up a couple of episodes ago. Episode 44, if I'm not mistaken. And in that one, uh, Lee talks through his painting styles for all his Titan Legios. He has quite a few. But I think his Legio Solaria is one of the best. And it is like the standard now of how to put together this particular Legio's colour scheme. It's very unique and there aren't that many ways to deviate from it. Additionally, as I sort of said in the other episode, 
most of the Titans of Legislaria stayed loyal. And those that would have switched towards Chaos, towards the Warmaster, probably maintained a very similar colour scheme through majority of the Heresy. They would have done so because of a loyalty to their particular battle groups, not because of any desire to rebel against the Imperium. And that probably indicates a sort of colour scheme that looks pretty similar to standard. They thought they were working with the correct side of the Imperials. Um, they're not someone like the Murder Lords, who would have been completely rebranding themselves. Or if they were, they would have rebranded themselves and looked nothing like Legia Solarium and stopped behaving like them and just become part of a Black Shield company. Which I think is a fair other option for you to do something with a Legia Solaria background, but then I would probably just use a custom Legio rule set, probably Vanguard Fighters or something to represent their heritage uh, more than using their Legio Solaria rule set. Let's just save that thought for another day. I have a particular segment in mind talking about Splinter Legios. I think that wraps up today's episode. I just want to thank everyone for listening to this show and the support you show the show through sharing the show with your friends or supporting me through my Patreon or Ko-Fi accounts. Those people who've recently subscribed to my Patreon, you have my warm thanks, and those few people who made one-time donations through my Ko-Fi page. I'm looking at upgrading my computer, as I've said several times, and I should be doing that by the mid-summer, which is going to open up some new avenues for content for me, should I find the time. Obviously, with the Iron Halo now looming in, my time is going to be split between preparing for that and this particular podcast. At the moment, as far as the Halo goes, I don't have a huge amount of work to do. I have most of the campaign pack written, and scenery for the tables I'm currently um, supplying all made. If we sell out and I open up additional spots, that's where the time crunch really is going to start, as I start having to put together additional tables of terrain, or coordinating with folks so I can get the tables made. Which is fun, and I look forward to breaking my initial goal of four tables at Titanicus. I hope I could get to 10 or so. It'd be really nice to see 20 people or 20 or more people playing Titanicus, even if it does mean the majority of my summer will be making terrain. Not that that is much of a burden. I really enjoy doing that as well. And with all that said, let's close out today's show. Next week's show, we are going to step away from the Titans and start talking about Imperial Knights. I plan a two-episode exploration on the Imperial Knights. Next week is going to be me talking through the construction of my knight household, how households work, the thoughts I've had since I've started playing knight households fairly regularly, and advice to people who are looking to collect households themselves. The week after, I'm going to sit down with Lucas, my friend down in Texas, who I went down to see a couple of weeks ago, and um, talk about the time my knights destroyed his warmaster, which is going to be a very entertaining conversation. So until then, I wish you all well. Thank you again for listening to another episode of the God Engine Cast, a podcast dedicated to discussing the Adeptus Titanicus game produced by Games Workshop. This show was written, recorded, and edited by Martin Emery. This podcast is completely unofficial and no way endorsed by Games Workshop Limited. No challenge to any trademarks or copyrights are intended. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. If you have questions for the show, please email me at god.engine.com 
podcast at gmail.com or reach out to me through Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, where I am the God Engine Cast. Until next time, I wish you all well and good fortune.